is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. Thanks so very much for tuning in. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to say a special welcome to our new listeners. This America Can We Talk show is spreading. It's now on air in Phoenix, Arizona on 960 AM, The Patriot. And also, of course, welcome to our regular listeners on 660 AM, The Answer here in Dallas. I want to start the first five tonight. I want to start the uh, show tonight which is always about America, preserving the unique greatness that is America, by talking about Austria. I just want to tell you, if you did not pay attention to the news just today, that Austria had elections. And there are so many parallels to the way the media has treated this political battle in Austria and how the media is conducting itself in America today. So in Austria, a young man, actually age 31, 31, 31, uh, was elected to become the head of Austria. At this moment, I don't have the name of his title, but he won the election, and he's and he won by a plurality, meaning that his party, he took charge. Uh, this young man's name, by the way, is Sebastian Kurz, K-U-R-Z. Sebastian Kurz took charge of the People's Party in the country of Austria and came on strong just this past spring, kind of wrested control of the party away from whoever it was, and basically said he ran on the notion that we have to reassert Austrian identity. He ran on things that I'm, I'm going to, there are several news stories, but I'm just going to tell you, all of these things I'm about to list were described as things he ran on under the banner of far right. These were called far right by the media in Austria. Wants to cut benefits for uh, illegal aliens, foreigners, and refugees. He wants to reduce bureaucracy. He wants to stop having the EU have so much power in Austrian politics. He spoke openly about preserving the national identity of Austria. He wants to cut taxes. Prior to this, he was actually, prior to this election, this amazing young man, 31 years old, uh, was the foreign minister for Austria. And he, in that time last year, 2016, when he was foreign minister, he actually closed the Balkan migrant trail. He was part of the effort to stop the migrant, the refugee flow into Austria. And he speaks openly about Islam and the effect on Austrian culture. On top of all that, so this young man has now been elected. As I say, he didn't win the majority, so he's going to have to make a um, make a coalition government in some way with one of the other parties. But his uh, party got uh, twenty uh, twenty seven. Actually, no, it got up above that. It got to like thirty one percent. So he has to choose among the other parties. And just like in England, they have many parties. So there's one even that's considered even farther right. And so that is the group that kind of alarmed a lot of Western Europe when they began winning seats in the Austrian government because they are really a populist slash slash nationalist party. I raise all that to say this. The concept that the people of Austria actually want their national identity back. They want a sense of Austrian culture. They want a sense that we do not, they do not have lawless 
flooding in through their borders of all sorts of refugees. In fact, it was interesting. Austria's history has really been extremely generous toward refugees in the past. They had there was a Hungarian uprising in 1956, and Austria opened its borders to thousands of Hungarian refugees. And in fact, it was written about by uh, James Mishner and others how generous Austria was. They didn't ever have religion as a factor. Muslims from former Yugoslavia were welcomed into Austria, just as Catholics from Croatia and Orthodox Serbs. So they they were very welcoming to refugees. What has occurred, though, in this last several years is that refugees and migrants pouring in over the border. This is in August of 2015. They were made welcome, but there was a sense of general unease in the Austrian population as they watched these trains and trains and trains full of refugees coming from Syria and other places because the description was it was evident that women, babies, and small children were a tiny minority of the people entering Austria as refugees. The large majority were able-bodied young men between the ages of 20 and 35. At this point, Austrians already had very full refugee camps, already had them, and the alarm began to spread within the Austrian community. And this is uh, you know, the, the Austrian natives. So I talk about all this to say that the media plays a really detrimental role in putting labels onto things that don't deserve them. The notion that it is far right to want to preserve your country's culture, to prevent uh, your country. And actually, after all these, uh, many of these refugees entered Austria, they had uh, the many, many instances of violence by um, Islamic immigrants into not just Austria, but Germany and all the ones we've talked about in the show we've read about. So the people of Austria were saying, you know, we want, we want a sense of order in our country. And so this is, in my view, very similar to what Donald Trump was saying last year in his election. And it wasn't just about migrants and refugees, but it was a whole notion of reasserting the identity of America. And when he did that, when he stood up against a lot of powerful interests in Washington, he found out it wasn't a very popular place to go. We can back after the break. I'm going to tell you more about what the media is doing to Donald Trump, a lot like what the media is doing to the new leader of Austria. Don't go away. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis. You know, I there is a, a movement afoot, a just a um, really, I think, very sinister and alarming movement afoot within the Democrat media mob to begin the discussion, the argument that Donald Trump President Trump should be removed from office. And I, we, I know, obviously, it's been happening since prior to his victory. It's been happening certainly since the entire time he's been president. All sorts of talk about whether he should be impeached. And they tried the whole Russia thing, and that didn't go anywhere. And they're just, they're, they're just hysterical to get him out. But I want to point out the deeper reasons and what we're really seeing now in terms of the effort by the American left, the Democrat media mob, to remove President Trump. There was an interview that Nancy Pelosi gave 
uh, and it, it was to NBC, and you can actually read a summary of it. And in, in short summary, what Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat minority leader in the U.S. House, she runs through a list of issues, and she's describing Donald Trump's conduct as violent. He's committing violence. And she runs through the health care where we're going to talk a little later in the show about the change that President Trump made in the health care subsidy issue, where he actually returned America to following the law, faithfully upholding the law, but he's being attacked by Nancy Pelosi as violent about health care, violent about the national debt. This is a woman who backed President Obama during the time he added more debt in his eight years of presidency than all the previous presidents before him combined. But it's Trump, she's saying, is causing violence toward the debt. Nuclear proliferation. She's blaming him for the mess created by previous presidents, most especially President Clinton in North Korea. She's blaming about the environment and dropping out of the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, She's complaining about lack of a tax bill, that he's doing a terrible job in international relations, that he's provoking North Korea, that he uh, is, is bailing on the Iranian agreement. Well, again, we're going to talk about these things tonight. I'm going to explain very clearly what is and is not happening with the Iranian agreement, that the Iranian, uh, Iranian never treaty because President Obama didn't dare bring it to the Senate because they would never have passed it as a treaty. I'm going to talk about all the issues that the left is stirring up, but it's really important to understand What's happening here? The American left, really since about the 1920s, was has been on a march to turn this country more and more progressive, big government, surrender of the idea of American-style liberty, surrender of the notion of freedom and liberty in America. And they were on a pretty good march for decades, especially enhanced under President Obama in the last eight years before President Trump um, took office. So... This this leftward uh, push by the uh, by the Democrat Party, by academe, by uh, people in, in academia and the media just on the drive, pushing this country left. And what Donald Trump did in winning the election in 2016 was tapping into the hearts and minds of millions of Americans, many of whom had not been politically active, who were just not wanting to see our country go down to the misery and and just deplorable condition that it was headed toward under big government Democrat policies. Donald Trump put a major, major uh, break. He put on the brakes in this left wing uh, movement in America and all the issues that Nancy Pelosi is complaining about. In fact, she complains about we should work together and we can do immigration reform and we can do a better job on this and that. What she's really just arguing is she wants to continue the Democrat agenda and Trump isn't letting her. That's pretty much what she's saying. She's saying we want our agenda and he won't do what I'm telling him to do. She's complaining issue after issue. And all she's really saying is Donald Trump stopped us from the takeover of America's health care system under Obamacare. He's really pretty much made it impossible for Obamacare to go forward. Explain that later. She is complaining about the um, position of strength that Donald Trump is just putting out to the world on behalf of America, returning America to our traditional role as a leader in the world, unlike we had President Obama's just surrender to the world continually. So all this is going on, compounded with the reality that Trump was elected to do exactly what he's doing, 
and further compounded by the reality that many, many Republicans, elected Republicans in the House and Senate, are just simply not going to do the Trump agenda. They're not going to do it. This is why we are nine months into his presidency and we don't have Obamacare repeal done. This was what Republicans ran on for years, promising and promising. This, what Trump put his finger on in the campaign was deeper than just stopping the growth of left-wing Democrat power. It was put, it was exposing how many of the Republicans in Washington are right locked in with and, and their policies and their preferences are woven in with the Democrats. They really don't want to make big changes either. They don't want to repeal Obamacare because, folks, if the Republicans wanted to do it, they could have done it by now. They won't do it. And I, I just think there's a um, – and Bob Corker, I want to get to him in a second. So Bob Corker, who is uh, not running for Senate again, he has in the past uh, in the Senate been um, – you know, at kind of at odds with President Trump. And he is the one, by the way, responsible for the mess we are in on the Iranian deal, which I'll discuss in a moment. But Bob Corker has been attacking President Trump. And they're going, unfortunately, it's very, a very public and kind of ugly exchange of tweets. But the point of what Corker is saying, Corker is trying to mock President Trump and really call into question his capacity to lead the country. Okay, this is Nyan treasonous in my view on the part of senator corker he's deciding you know his iranian deal made a mess for america and everyone can see it now and his uh moderation his unwillingness to cooperate with president trump has been exposed and he's just thinking of he's not running again he's figured he realized he's not going to win if he runs again so he is um, he's on, as long as he's going down, he wants to try to bring President Trump down with him, too. So there's talk about this 25th Amendment language. I want to just tell you, in the United States Constitution, there is language that permits basically a total of um, 14 people in the whole country could remove Donald Trump. This is not impeachment. This is a 25th Amendment where the vice president and 13 other members of the cabinet if they all certify that they believe the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, that he can be removed. This is now being openly discussed by the left in this country, and it is imperative to understand how serious they are. Now, now President, uh, Vice President Pence, as far as I can tell, he is loyal to President Trump. He's right with him, and this whole trick of the 25th Amendment removing the president does not work unless they get Mike Pence on board with it. And, and I'm sure he's not right now. But this is a level of just visceral hatred toward President Trump from not just the Democrats in Washington and not just the media, but even some Republicans because they don't like he's rocking the boat. They don't like he is pushing forward the agenda he promised the American people despite their efforts to undermine him. Quickly on the Iranian deal, I just want to explain something that's so important First of all, last week on the show, we had a great interview. This is America Can We Talk, and you can go to the americacanwetalk.org website and, and hear it. We did an interview with Frank Gaffney, the head of the Center for Security Policy, who laid out in great detail that it was exactly the right answer that President, what President Trump did this week in refusing to certify the Iranian deal was exactly what had to happen. Because the Iranians are not complying. The way the deal works in a nutshell is we have this ridiculous Iranian deal negotiated, negotiated by Obama and some other uh, five other countries, you know, pretty much giving the Iranians nuclear weapons. 
and a ridiculous, unenforceable provision to allow uh, that does not allow inspections of the sites where Iran could be developing nuclear weapons. And we have the American, the, the uh, AEIE, the International Atomic Energy Agency, I, what the acronym is, they have said they can't certify that the Iranians are complying with a deal because the Iranians won't give them access to the sites they're supposed to get to inspect. You have to understand that Iran is not complying with the deal, and yet many people in Washington, including some of Trump's own advisors, were saying to him, well, it's still better to have a deal, even though we have no idea if they're complying, we can't figure out they're complying, we have no way to find out they're complying, and we've already given them in the billions of dollars which they are using because they are the number one terror exporting country in the world we ought to just go ahead and certify and play this game with Iran. These are people around Trump who advise us. Mattis and Tillerson, at least, advise us. And I think John Kelly and, and President Obama, to his great credit this week, said, no, actually, the Iranians are not complying. And because they're not complying, I'm not going to lie and certify that they are complying. And this certification requirement is not actually in the Iranian deal. It's in the law that the Senate passed when they weren't permitted by President Obama to review the treaty and vote up and down, up or down on it. They passed a law that said that if it were to be the case that we can't get certification, that they insisted on certification, that the deal was being followed, and if it wasn't, the president could claim, could you know call it out. We're not, they're not complying here, and then uh, the issue then goes to the Senate to resolve. So that's what President Trump did this week. He he did not pull the plug on the deal. He just honestly said. We're not, they're not complying, and we got to try to fix it. Folks, we come back after the break. We have a great, great guest coming up, changing topics entirely to draining the swamp. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, 
They offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Okay, I got going along in the last segment, and I wanted, before we had our guest joining us, I wanted to introduce him. Uh, so I'm going to do that right now. We have uh, joining us online. Let me back up and tell you all something. So I went to a conference recently. Um, I've been to a lot of conferences recently, and um, I just kind of, I guess I'm wonky, but I just, I love understanding what all the serious think tank thinkers in the country are thinking about and how they analyze things. So one group I had heard of but had not really been connected with yet uh, had a presenter at this conference, and it was a group called the Pacific Legal Foundation. And I loved, you know, I'm a lawyer by background. I, I love all the analysis of what they were talking about, but I was, I love some of the missions they are on and tying back into our first segment and why Trump got elected. It was in part to drain the swamp, which isn't just to remove people in Washington who have been there too long and, and are too encrusted in their power, but it was also to roll back some of the regulation that seems to have overwhelmed America in the last eight plus years. So, Now, joining me on the phone, I'm so glad he was available to call in tonight. Joining me on the phone is Jeff McCoy. He's an attorney with the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. So welcome, sir. Uh, Debbie, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Happy to be talking with you. So I just want to jump right in and have you tell our listeners, you all, Pacific Legal Foundation, have a thing called the Red 
Red Tape Rollback Project. So can you quick tell us what that is? Yes, um, the Red Tape Rollback Project, um, it's, it's our effort to promote the use of the Congressional Review Act. Um, and just to, to provide some background, the Congressional Review Act um, was passed in 1996 as a part of the Contract for America. And it basically adds some oversight on regulatory agencies. Um, what it requires is that any time before any regulation goes into effect, the, the agency has to send it to Congress. And then Congress has 60 days to, uh, to uh, and streamline procedures and over to, to overturn that regulation. Um, and the part of the real important part about the streamline procedures is that this is not there's no filibuster. So a simple majority in both houses can disapprove of any regulation um, that that is too onerous or otherwise negatively affects Americans. Okay, I told you in a note, I actually was emailing with uh, Jeff earlier today. I told him in a note that I do this other show too, um, Point of View Radio, sometimes here in in Texas. And when I saw this, there was a Wall Street Journal article or, or a column that was telling people about this Congressional Review Act, which basically, to reiterate what Jeff just said, it says if agencies pass regulations... And they put them in place, but they do not run it by Congress. They need to notify Congress, send it in reports, saying, here's what we did, here's the rule. If they don't do that, um, this law, and this is the first step of it, and then we'll get to the second stage, but this law permits Congress to go to, to look at those regulations now and say, I mean, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. It's too expensive. It's illogical. It's whatever the problem with it is. Congress, and so this is why it was such an exciting prospect when people came to realize what was in that law was because the growth of federal government largely occurred in Washington in the bureaucracies, in the federal agencies. I'm always picking on the EPA, but especially the EPA, but many of them. And so this law basically says if these agencies, even if they've been implementing this right rule or regulation, uh, but they never submitted it to Congress to get approval, it's not in effect. Is that right? That's correct, and and that's the that's the big point um, going forward. Because um, as you said, there, there's 60 days to disapprove uh, regulations, um, but that 60 days starts once the rule has been sent to Congress, um, and we have found. Um, at Pacific Legal Foundation, there are hundreds, possibly thousands of rules from the last 20 years that have never been sent to Congress. And as you said, the, the clear language of the Congressional Review Act says that before a rule can go into effect, it must be sent to Congress. Um, and so uh, so based on the plain text of, of the statute, um, there are hundreds and th- hundreds or possibly thousands of rules that, that should not be given legal effect because Congress has not had an opportunity to review them. You got to love that. And then on top of that, because that's the case, so now all these agencies now under Republican, well, apparently under Republican control is dubious. But anyway, all these agencies now under the Trump administration can be reviewing rules passed by those agencies, rules and regulations um, in, in past years. And so what do they do? What if they're sitting there at the EPA and they have this rule it never got sent to Congress and, you know, it seems onerous, but it's been being enforced what does the agency do with it now? Well, there, there are a couple of options. Um, uh, they could send it to Congress um, and note that this is an onerous regulation, and Congress could then use the streamlined um, re- uh, streamlined processes to to overturn it. Um, and uh, the other um, uh, another option is that they could the 
the officials within the EPA, in your example, um, could just say that, well, because this has not been sent to Congress, we're, we're not going to give it legal effect because that's what the law says, and we're going to review it and, uh, internally. Um, and so, so those are a couple options. I mean, there, because we said there's hundreds or possibly thousands, um, the review may take some time. Um, I am sure that there may be a handful of rules that are, are okay. Um, and if that's the case, then, then the agencies can send them to Congress and basically say, these aren't too onerous, uh, just let the time pass. Um, but for other ones, um, they, they can definitely review it and give, the, give Congress the option to overturn it. Okay, so we have this uh, CRA's Congressional Review Act, which, uh, you know, is just was, was game-changing for Congress, and it was actually a great—we had Kimberly Strassel on the show. Maybe that was the reason we had her on the show. We, she wrote a column anyway. She's at Wall Street Journal, great writer. She wrote about this game-changing impact of the Congressional Review Act and how it really could, just without any further need for legislation or any other action— uh, it. Congress already had the power to roll back some of these regulations uh, that have seemed onerous. Okay, but do, you mentioned, or we were talking, I guess, um, off air before this, about there is obviously some um, entities don't like this Congressional Review Act. They don't want to have Congress cutting back on some regulation. And the particular one that uh, was written about in your website was uh, the Center for Biological Diversity, CBD, and they are essentially... Is this accurate? They're suing to say Congress can't really roll back the regulations they made relating to the Department of Interior's refuge rule. Is, is that tell me, tell me about that litigation? Yeah, um, that is exactly what they're saying. Um, earlier this year, Congressional uh, Congress um, and the President used the Congressional Review Act to overturn um, some previously enacted regulations that uh, that changed hunting regulations in Alaska. Um, so. Uh, Center for Biological Diversity filed a lawsuit basically saying that, that Congress, that the use of the Congressional Review Act was unconstitutional because it interfered um, with the agency's uh, rulemaking authority um, under previously enacted laws. Um, however, I, I think it's pretty clear um, that, that the, because the Congressional Review Act requires a joint resolution, it requires um, that joint resolution to be signed by the president that essentially what the Congressional Review Act is allows Congress to pass laws and laws trump regulations um, any day of the week. And it does so in a constitutional way. Um, but you are right. There are there are um, both organizations and, and even uh, Senator Cory Brooker has introduced a, a bill to overturn the Congressional Review Act um, now that it's being used as it's supposed to be being be used. Wow, I didn't. Cory Booker actually introduced a bill to overturn the Congressional Review Act. Yes. Wow, yeah, I missed that. that. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. I mean, you know, this this whole concept, and you know, on a, on a very serious note, uh, you know, I think there's just there has been so much frustration among constitutional conservatives, people who really like the concept of you know, we the people hold the power, we elect Congress, they make the laws, and there's too much lawmaking kind of like lawmaking happening in the bureaucracy. Um, and so this is not really, uh, this Congressional Review Act can seem as though it's kind of kind of really uh, cutting back federal government power, but it's really just kind of putting it back in the lap in the way the Constitution intended, back in the laps of Congress, right? Yeah, uh, Article One of the Constitution places uh, the lawmaking power uh, in Congress. And um, as you said, the over the past century especially, uh, more and more regulations, um, which are essentially laws, have been coming out from unelected bureaucrats in the administrative state. 
Um, and, and the Congressional Review Act allows elected representatives um, to, to have at least some input um, and to hopefully provide some check on, on that rulemaking authority. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, if we, uh, in a democratic society, um, it, our elected officials should be the ones accountable for, for making decisions that affect people's lives. Absolutely. One other feature, and we're going to be about out of time here, but one other feature of this law, which I love, was if the Congress reviews a regulation some agency passed and says, you know what, we are, we are overruling this regulation, it, is not, it cannot pass muster, we're not having this, the agency cannot just go back another, you know, the next time you have the opposite party come into power and take over the agencies, they can't come back and pass the same thing again unless there's new legislation authorizing it, Right. That's correct. Yeah, the the language is that they cannot pass uh, the, a regulation that's in substantially the same form. Jeff, you so know, what? I'm so I'm so sorry. We're going to be out of time, and this mean guy's going to play music while we're trying to talk. Quick, tell our, our uh, listeners your website. Yes, it, it's uh, redtaperollback.com. You can follow all our work on there, and then you can follow all our broader work at Pacific Legal Foundation um, at pacificlegal.org. Jeff, thank you so much. Love. <laughs> America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. 
They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, folks, I love talking with you every Sunday night in the show. And I actually would love to talk for two hours a day because that previous interview we just finished with Jeff McCoy from the Pacific Legal Foundation, he's that would be an hour interview, really interesting stuff. But, you know, I want to tie back. So he's basically, if you're just tuning in, we had Jeff McCoy from the Pacific Legal Foundation. He's talking about the effort of his organization to work on their, it's called the Red Tape Rollback Project. They're basically working to have the Congressional Review Act actually used to its fullest. And in short, the 1996 Congressional Review Act says that if an agency passes a rule, regulation, even a memorandum of understanding like Obama, President Obama used quite often, you know, because he was trying to avoid the rulemaking procedure. So he would just, you know, like his whole transgender bathroom thing was a, a, a memo or something. It wasn't a real rule. But the point is, this is the way that power gets out of the hands of the people and into tyrannical, non-responsive, unaccountable Leaders in Washington, I, I couldn't, don't want, didn't want to use the word leaders in that sentence. They're not leaders. They are bureaucrats who are unaccountable. They're accountable to no one. You can't. You could go home and you know vote to vote your congressman out, vote a new congressman in, and nothing would change. The agencies operate as a as a like a fourth branch of government, passing laws, passing regulations, and finally, fortunately, there's a vehicle for people to challenge this ridiculous overreach by not just the EPA, but we'll stick with them right now, to simply pass more and more rules and regulations that limit your freedom. The one little one he, uh, example he gave, there's, and in fact, there, he had numerous other cases we've had longer to talk, but that particular one is an area in Alaska where people have hunted and fish and gone fishing, and, um, you know, some 
guy in Washington in a, bureauc- in a bureaucracy, the EPA, some division who was, you know, had a lot of, you know, had studied some, you know, whatever it was, some something about that area and the natural um, beauty of it and then whatever grows there, what animals are there, and just basically passed a law. They, they put a, a rule into place that really severely limited the right of Americans to hunt and fish on this land. Congress didn't pass that. Congress didn't even have anything to do with it. And so this so this notion of taking the reins of power back in the hands of the people, insisting that Congress be uh, accountable, because Congress, they are the ones who are accountable. If they pass a law that you think is too onerous, they say, you know, no more hunting here, or whatever the law regulation is, they're accountable. And this is one thing, even elected officials, elected members of the, you know, House and the Senate have in the past been able to escape scrutiny and escape condemnation from their voters when people complain about, well, look at the EPA did. They, they have this new rule. It's ruined my ability to use my farm. I can't grow the crops I, I grow anymore. I can't use have my cattle here anymore because of some new law. And elected officials have been able to say, well, you know, what can we do about it? I mean, you know, that's, that's not really me. We didn't pass this. That's the EPA. That's the BLM. That's somebody else, not us. This is not just taking power away from the agencies it is affirmatively putting the power in the hands of elected officials in washington saying you have to review this and say yes or no and then you are responsible and you know the cra the division the uh, we didn't get talking about in, in depth but you know the first step of it was uh, of this um you know cra being implemented was congressional review act was that you know all sorts of really onerous regulations that have just were you know passed by bureaucrats uh, uh, over the will of the people, contrary to the will of Congress, you know, just the typical big government growth uh, that happens under Democrat uh, and Republican, but usually Democrat presidencies. You know, it was a way to just load all those in, send them over to Congress and say, you know what, uh, these were, these have never been approved and Congress can affirmatively disapprove them. But even uh, the bigger thing which is now happening is agencies cannot enforce rules and regulations that have been on the books since 1996, unless it was sent to Congress and passed. So current rules and regulations already being implemented against citizens have no legal authority behind them unless it goes through Congress. And so this is a huge thing of not only just taking power away from the bureaucrats, but putting responsibility right back on the elected officials. Okay, I only have seven other things I want to hit in this segment, So, and I can only talk... Even I can only talk this fast, even though I grew up in New York and I, I did master talking fast. I want to get to Weinstein, Weinstein, uh, Harvey Weinstein in just a minute. I do, because it's a huge story. It is political in nature, and I want to tell you why it's political and why it really does matter to you. But this is why the story last segment, why this matters to you, because you have an accountable government. And because when government does things to you that hurt your property, take your property value away, you have a remedy. Okay. So I want to go back, though, to the Iranian uh, deal for just a minute to be really clear about this. First of all, I urge you, if you can't, if you have, didn't hear it last week, go back and listen to our interview. You can go to org. listen to the interview with Frank Gaffney. And the previous week, I interviewed Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Both of those individuals, esteemed national security experts, talked about the Iranian deal. It's really important to understand because Trump is being called by Clinton 
and and Nancy Pelosi and the le- usual Democrat media mob, all the you know the usual news sources on the left. He is being called uh, because of his refusal to certify that the Iranians were complying with the deal when he has no basis to certify that. He's being called dangerous, irresponsible. Um, you know, ignorant, uh, bull in a china shop. He, in fact, he was describing one story as just furious with his advisors who were telling him they needed to go ahead, that he needed to go ahead and certify that the Iranians were complying, even though they're not. And so they're trying to make him, Trump, the problem on this Iranian deal. And the problem in the Iranian deal was entirely created by the Obama administration. It is a Trump administration returning to the rule of law, which, you know, as I'll say, you can't have America and you can't have America and tyranny. You can't have America and government ignoring the rule of law or put in a positive way. You must have the rule of law to have the, the quality, the character of our nation that was of the founding and the nation we're supposed to have today. The reason is back when President Obama and others negotiated with Iran and came up with the Iranian deal, it was very clear. I mean, national security experts all over the country were talking about this is a bad deal. This is a we are essentially it was it was just a it was a. I mean, it's a farce of a deal. You know, we the inspection procedures were uh, unenforceable, as we have discovered, because IAEA is now saying, well, they won't let us go see them. We're, we're supposed to inspect. So it's just a joke. It's like, okay, there's a deal. You can inspect, except we're not going to let you inspect. And somehow President Trump is the one out of line. He's the crazy one to say, I don't think we should certify if we can't certify. And then the other thing about it is that the Constitution, wisely, in the wisdom of our founders, requires when a president enters into or attempts to enter into a treaty, it must go before the United States Senate for a vote. And if the Senate will not approve the treaty, it's not binding. It does not apply to, it is not in effect. It is not a treaty. Because President Obama was fully aware that the Senate would never certify, that they would never, um, can't get the right word from the Constitution, but you know they, they would never agree that the, uh, the Iranian deal should be ratified and should become a treaty, he just never sent it to the Senate. He just ignored the Constitution. Talk about losing the rule of law and becoming lawless. Obama would not take it to the Senate. He took it, in fact, six days after it was finalized, straight to the United Nations, and got it agreed to by the United Nations as an amendment to some resolution. So it's even questionable if America is actually a party to it or not anyway. But what Bob Corker, who's now you know having a meltdown over President Trump, but what Bob Corker did at the time was put through, he really kind of covered, covered for President Obama. He put through this other deal, which is what got us to where we are today, which is a Senate at least passed saying that among the things, if we're going to have this deal with the Iranians, that we are going to... Um, have to have um, some certification to, that they are complying with the deal. And so in the past few certifications, President Trump was informed they weren't certifying, but told, but they're better off. You really should go ahead and just certify anyway. So he did. And this time he said, no, this is we're done with this game. Well, I'm going to tell you, there was a great column out we, uh, with Claudia Rosette. And we've had her in this show before. She's a brilliant, brilliant writer and thinker. And uh, she's a foreign policy fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. And she had a great piece explaining why, you know, the only responsible thing to do for President Trump 
is to say, I won't certify the Iranians are complying. It was, it was a very, very good piece she wrote. And <clears throat> she, she also pointed out that we need to um, stop downplaying Iranian Iran's nuclear ambitions. Stop pretending that they're probably up to, they're probably just fine, not going to hurt us. We need to be realistic about who they are and what they're all about. She pointed out that there's a lot of money involved. Iran has a lot of natural, it has um, oil. And so you have some of these other countries in the world more swayed by their financial access to the possible oil reserves than complying with and demanding Iran uh, comply with this deal. And so, you know, the other thing that was floating around the back in the Obama era was, well, maybe it's really kind of okay because, after all, lots of other countries have nuclear weapons, and maybe it's not so bad if Iran does too. You know, we have to be in the family of nations. It's just ridiculous, irresponsible foreign policy thinking on the part of President Obama and others of his ilk, which have gotten us to where we are. That's what President, why President Trump had to act. There was no other choice for a responsible president to do. Okay, so that and the Iranian deal again. Understand that Hillary, Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat media mob are spending a lot of time trying to criticize, criticize President Trump about what he's doing and refusing to certify the Iranian deal is the most responsible thing possible. And again, go to our website, americacanbetalk.org, and you'll see what we, we talk about there, uh, and you'll see all the articles we've been talking about. Okay, I really wanted in this last segment to hit the Harvey Weinstein story, and I am going to hit it. A little bit, and then we maybe we'll have to come back in the break after the break and talk about some more. But I had a really good friend who put on Facebook, "Look, you know Harvey Weinstein. Why is everyone acting so shocked? Everyone knows he's been a, he's just a pig. He, you know, he's a he's a Hollywood guy. He's been a, you know piggish for women for years. Why is this such a big story? And it's not political. That's what she said. So I'm telling you, folks, this is a very political story. Major consequences to this should be to the Democrat Party, and there should also be consequences to how you process criticism by any of these Hollywood women who knew about it, didn't say a word for decades. They enabled him. They excused his conduct. They covered up for him. And these are the same women claiming because Trump said a few words that were crass that he shouldn't be present. Folks, more after the break. Don't listen to them. 